go. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. This is Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. Yeah, and we are a couple of average Joes, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we are. Cinescape. <laughs> All right. It's the Cinescape magazine yes. podcast. And we burn so brightly. <sighs> <laughs> Mike loves my puns. All right. This is our uh, Bright Burn episode. We'll be talking about that fine piece of uh, Superman knockoff. And uh, we've got a few movie trailers in there for you, too. What do you think about that? Okay. All right, let's do it. You know, I'm looking at this, and I didn't realize. I thought that James Gunn directed this. No, he produced it. Just a producer. So that makes much more sense now. Okay. Yeah, yeah and then it's got elements from films he's done before. Uh, you've never seen Super with Rain Wilson, huh? Because I know you're not a fan of him. I'm not a big fan of Rain Wilson, and I think I tried watching it, uh-huh. and I fell asleep. <laughs> Yeah. I wanted to watch it for some reason, just never got around to doing yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of people said it was just a, a rip-off of Kick-Ass. And there's similarities to it, but it has, it has its own merit. And I I saw it once, and I enjoyed it. It was funny. It gets fucking gory a few times, because, hey, it's James Gunn, right? He, he throws some gore in that shit. Um, but I actually, I liked the movie. It was, it was worth seeing. And then they show a little picture of, uh, during Michael Rooker's little fucking rant at the end of uh, Brightburn, they show a picture of uh, Super. Yeah. You know, from it. So that's cool. That, 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 was it called the Crimson Avenger or something? I think that was his character's name. Yeah. Um, now this, and this was uh, written by um, uh, Gunn's two brothers, um, two other brothers, not the one that, not Sean Gunn, who's, uh, who does the motion control for, uh, or the motion Rocket. capture for Rocket and also plays Kraglin in Guardians. Um, but yeah, so I guess Gunn's got a lot of fucking siblings. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Uh, what if a child from another world crash landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a superhero to mankind, he proved to be something far more sinister? With Brightburn, the visionary filmmaker of Guardians of the Galaxy and Slither presents a startling, subversive take on a radical new genre, superhero horror. <laughs> Super horror. Superhero horror. What is your take on it? My take is it's a very cool premise that is... Moderately executed, huh? My take on it is, why would they basically make Superman, yeah, and then turn it into a horror film? <laughs> okay, into a slasher film, kind of. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the, the, understand my thinking on this. Mm-hmm. Everything's set in Kansas, yeah, just like Superman. Everything mm-hmm. happens just like Superman for yeah. for for the most part. Everything goes on. His first thirteen years, yeah, as 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 Superman, right? Yeah, and even at the end, they mention a fucking woman with a rope that you know tortures people and and a fish guy, right? Yeah. So you know, and and I understand where they're going with this, but um, it's if you want to call it the DC Dark Universe, yeah, which is I'm fine with, you know, it's you know the alternate universe DC, just more for Deadpool to make fun of. Yeah, but I'm being quiet on purpose. Well, so you can hear the dryer, so I can, so, so I can tell you exactly what I'm thinking. This is what I think of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't care for the movie. There were some parts about it, but that, I didn't care for the movie. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, I don't regret seeing it, but when it's all said and done, I don't give a shit. Yeah, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add anything to a pantheon. It doesn't add anything to a mythology. Yeah, it it's, an, it's a wasted opportunity. That's that's what I see it as. Yeah, and and. and, and Okay. Why did he turn into a bad guy? Well, um, I want someone to explain to me why he turned into a bad guy when he had no reason to. It seemed like the impression I got, and don't worry, I don't do impressions, but 
I'm sorry, I don't do impressions. It, My primary it training seemed is like once puberty kicked in and that fucking with that the, the the ship that he came in started signaling him, it like activated something in him, and it like like whatever was dormant in his genes about taking over the world, you know, like because why he, did he turn bad? Like it, that's like it's like that's what he was sent there to do. Like it, he because he he started saying take the world you know, over and over again. Why did he turn bad? Because the, I I would assume that's because it was that's what he's programmed to do. That's what he was sent there for. And they don't, and they, exactly, they don't delve in any of that shit. There's, look, I, I like some mystery, of course, but there's no, <clears throat> there's nothing. There was, there was no fucking reason for him to turn back. Look, I can understand if he had abusive parents that kind of put him on that path, or you know, if if he was always picked on. Yeah. You know, he was bullied as a kid, and blah blah blah. And they showed some of that, but it was, it's nothing more than what normal kids go through. Yeah. You know, he turns into creepy kid. Uh, after you know, befriending a girl, he has loving parents. Yeah, and, and you know, loving and supportive parents. Yes, and and then all of a sudden, he just turns into this fucking monster. That there is, uh, I mean, for for no no reason. There's nothing written in the script. There's nothing that gives us any hint or indication other than, yeah. oh well, you know, well I'm, I'm sorry. There's one hint or indication. Which is the they they found the the pictures underneath his bed. Yeah, you know, the, you know the autopsy type shit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. I get that. <coughs> but you know, I mean, he's not killing squirrels. He's not putting shit into a fucking. You know, he's not beheading animals. He's not doing all the stuff that a serial killer would do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's not. He, yeah. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the movie, he's fucking destroying entire buildings. And and laying waste to cities and and killing people at random and yeah, blah blah blah. It's like look. I can appreciate when a movie doesn't waste any time and gets to the point. I can. But this movie, and it does get to the point pretty fucking quickly, but... At the it, cost of? Yeah, at the cost of, of a good story, of a good of good storytelling. It's yeah. gone. It, there's no there's no time for any character development or anything. It's just he flips almost instantly, right? Right. And then he's doing this weird, creepy shit. He's stalking the little girl from class, and, and he's freaking Breaking people. Breaking her arm. Yeah, and he's freaking people out, and... His parents are fucking conflicted about him. And Kills his uncle? Yeah. For no particular reason other than his uncle was just being a dick? Yeah. It, it just... It, it's it, 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 This movie just felt like a reason just to show what Superman could do to people if he, if he turned into a fucking uh, bad guy. That, yeah, that, that, but, that, but again, I mean, he, there's no reason for him to turn into a bad guy if, if he has never been treated like a piece of shit. I watched a YouTube video about um, this guy. This guy did a review on this movie, and he said that one of the biggest missed opportunities that this film did was revealing from the get go that he was an alien. They should have done this thing where he started, you know, chewing on forks and stuff when he hit puberty and all this other stuff, right? Without you knowing his past or anything, and just wondering what the fuck's going on with this kid, right? And then you slowly reveal that he, you know, crash landed and, and, and all this stuff. It would have been a better reveal if they'd done it that way. Instead, the movie just tells you. The whole thing from the get go, yeah. that you know, he's and, and, and I, that that would be fine, but they would have fucked it up in the trailers yeah. anyway. And then the trailers gave away the whole fucking movie anyway. Yeah, I mean, what wh- what is it? Maybe five percent of the movie they didn't give away. Yeah, you know, we we already knew he was killing people. The fucking trailer gave that away. And pretty much everyone that he killed in this movie, they showed in the trailer. The fucking waitress. Yeah. The uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. 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 The sheriff. Yeah. 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 The, and I love the uncle because he's played by um, a guy who played Badger on Breaking Bad. Right. And he was a great fucking character on that show. So um, I was good to finally see him in something other than Breaking Bad. But right. Yeah. It, 
and he was a good he was a decent character. You know, yeah. he was interesting. And everyone seemed to bring good acting to the movie. It's just there there was there was nothing for them to fucking do except react to what he's doing. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't make like I said, it doesn't make any sense. There's no path for us to follow logically to see where he goes from good, you know, just this, this kid to bad, other than, oh, my dad won't let me have a gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, you know, oh, the chickens. Yeah. You know, he kills the chickens. And then, uh, uh, and then, uh, then there's like one or two other things where he doesn't get his way and he has a fucking tantrum. Yeah. Like, there, I want to see, you know, if you're going to make a bad guy Superman, mm-hmm. you know, two or three instances in a lifetime, in, in 13 years, doesn't make you a fucking bad kid. I want to do good, mom. No, you don't. You know, that's just, it's just, that's that, a, what a fucking throwaway shitty line. It just felt like he was just programmed to say that over years of being raised and then, but he didn't believe it. Right. I mean, I, I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted this movie to be, she's, she's an abusive, in an abusive relationship with the dad or she's an abuser. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and then she's using him, using the boy to protect her from you know, everything else. And, and let's just say that Elizabeth Banks is playing the abuser, okay? Because the trope is always the man is the abuser. Let's just go, let's go completely opposite. And she's using the boy as a shield, right? And, and making, him, making him the bait, right? So uh-huh. he basically turns against everyone except for his mother. They could have done a Firestarter version of this. They could have. And, and what, what really pisses me off is that there's, there's a huge missed opportunity here to really show... What would happen if Superman did turn bad? Yeah. And instead he grows up in a loving family, in a loving community. You know, he's got friends and he's always hanging out with them. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden. So then, you know, yeah, if he is going to fucking turn bad, give us a good reason why. Yeah. Instead of this, this fucking instead satellite of, dish of love. Yeah. Instead of. You're bad. Yeah. Kill the world. Yeah. Or exactly. Or, or as you were saying, program. Show the programming. Yeah, you know, show show him reliving a fucking memory, you know, from when he was shot off into space in that in, yeah. in that little parabolic, not a parabolic, in that fucking asteroid of love. Yeah, and, and you know, satellite of love, <laughs> and um, and and show that he was he was programmed from birth that at some point in time this is going to happen. Yeah, we need a little foreshadowing. We need a little bit of background information. You know, and not even that. We don't even need to have him, like, we don't need to be blitzed with images of bad stuff, blah, 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 like, you know, in, in a satellite, in, in, a, in a satellite cocoon. Yep. You know, we, it could have been that he's from a planet of fucking just, he's from a planet and the people that shot him off into space are just heinous pieces of shit evil. Yeah. You know, and they, they're programming, he's a clone or something, and they're programming this kid you know, <laughs> there's just a planet of assholes, and they just like fucking with other planets. This is Lobo, this is a planet <laughs> of Lobos. Um, I say that Lobo's coming up on Krypton, yeah, on, on Sci-Fi, and I don't know if I'm gonna like it too much. I gotta, yeah, like they, they they turn him Spanish. You know what happens if uh, if he takes your brain out? I don't know. It's a lobotomy. No, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> fucking <laughs> god damn it. Um. Get your brain checked. Um, I sorry, I already had a lobotomy. Brian Brian and Mark Gunn's screenplay is just is just it, it feels like it's just an outline. Like they took Smallville, or they took the yeah. they, they took the first 
45 minutes of Superman yeah. and turned it into an extra 45 minutes of yeah. Superman being it evil. It seems like one of those, little, you know what, let's see what we can do. We'll give you a 90-minute film. If it makes some money, then then we'll talk about sequels or something, right? And so they just threw something together. and just. But went. this is an independent film, is it not? Um, screen Gems and Stage Six films, so it's not Screen Gems is Sony, so it's it's Sony's little you know independent company. Yeah, but I mean it's just it's it's basically a sequel to Super and in that one other movie. That's really what it is. Yeah, I I mean it's made like on a six million dollar budget. It was made on a really low budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, good for them, and it's going to make money, but... Yeah. Look, and Google users are saying that 80% of the people like this movie. That's bullshit. 80% of the people didn't like this Dude, movie. Dude, it, it, it's a wasted premise that just turns into a slasher movie. You know, IMDb is showing a 6.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes is 57%. Metacritic is at 45. And we can throw out most of them. Um, I would probably About a 6 out of 10 is what it's getting. If I was going to rate this, I would probably do like a 3 to 4 out of 10. Yeah, and and I'm I'm basically right there with you. Yeah, because some cool death scenes don't make up for a lack of of, of depth and yeah. lack of storytelling. Then that's and that's the problem with this. One hundred percent is the lack of storytelling and giving us some information, some backstory. Like if you telegraph it, you don't need backstory. But they're not even telegraphing it here. They're just the kid goes from. Um, you know, weird twelve-year-old to evil thirteen-year-old <clears throat> at the snap of a finger. Yeah, yeah. Most kids just start feeling weird and funny places on their body, but you know, this kid just wants to kill people. And yeah, dissect them. Yeah, and and touch and touch girls. <laughs> He'll stalk them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they get butt hurt when they get they get upset about it. Brightburn doesn't fully deliver on the pitch black promise of its setup. It's still enough to offer a diverting subversion of the superhero genre. Mixed or average reviews, um, possible sequels. Uh, confirmed that the film's mid-credits scene, making references to a half-man, half-sea creature terrorizing the sea. Frank Wilson's character, Frank Darbo, the Crimson Bolt from Super, and a powerful witch who chokes her victims with a rope that compels them to tell the truth. It's Wonder Woman and Aquaman and yeah. Superman. was intended to set up a sequel in addition to noting that an alternate ending to the, feature, to the film featured Emmy Hunter's Caitlin, uh, ending with her in a, in a lab fastening a robot arm on her broken arm and her just pissed off, as well as mentioning tons of other as, such endings as haven't been discussed, as well as stating that if we were to expand the Brightburn universe in other installments and in other ways, we would probably be doing it in the exact same way in total secrecy and then drop a cinematic trailer at some point. So yeah, this movie's pretty much uh, <coughs> Chronicle meets Superman. Yeah, it's basically DC Dark Universe. Um, I'm not impressed with the movie. I thought it was just average at best. Uh, James Gunn, uh, a visionary horror take on Superman. James Gunn spins an avant-garde subversion of the lore with the child bullying. (coughs) (coughs) James Gunn had nothing to do with it. He's an executive producer on the movie. Yeah, his brothers wrote the story. And he didn't even direct it. So don't give James Gunn all the credit. Yeah, he just used his name to get his brother's feet in the door. Yeah, which is fine. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, nepotism (coughs) is how Hollywood goes around. (laughs) (coughs) Now... I, I listened to the soundtrack, and we're, this is part of the reviews that we're going to start doing, which is the soundtrack. Now, Timothy Williams um, composed the soundtrack for Brightburn. He also did Get Out, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, Deadpool 2, Wild Horses, um, on top of doing uh, Symbionic, uh, Titan, ABC's Missing, Fox's The Exorcist, Season 2, uh, Castle, Whispers, The Last Resort, Timeless, and SWAT, plus he... Contributed to Rise of the Argonauts, 
<coughs> with Tyler Bates and contributed additional music on God of War. Um, he also conducted and orchestrated Transformers the Game and Army of Two, the 40th day. So he's got a lot of good credits mm-hmm. behind him. If you listen to the soundtrack, it's all it is is just basically, you know, that foghorn sound. Yeah. And it does nothing. I mean, it doesn't add tension to the to the scenes. It doesn't. It feels like they're trying the, to. I'm trying to think of the music that was playing when he let his mom go when he was holding her up in the sky. Same shit. Yeah. Um, it it didn't it didn't it felt like it didn't add anything to the. Uh, um, oh, he did Diablo. Is that no oh, Diablo the, the video game or the movie? Uh, Walton Goggins. Well, it was Scott Eastwood. Um, oh, well, he did it. He did it. Um, the spy who dumped me. A <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> funny name. That was with, what's her name? Yeah. Uh, Mia Kunis. The orchestration and the soundtrack is, is again, at best, normal. Uh, it's it. I listened to the whole thing. I listened to it a couple of times. <coughs> <laughs> ah, fucking Christ! And Ricola? No, uh, I I just I I I feel like they just kind of phoned it in on most of the music. And he's a good. I mean, like if you listen to Get Out, the 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 soundtrack to Get Out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even Symbionic Titan, or or he did Christopher Robin, or Deadpool Two, or. You know it and Guardians of the Galaxy. You know that he can he can do all this stuff. But when you have when you have a, a, a superhero, when you have a, a horror movie, yeah, go against tropes and give us orchestration. I, I want to hear music. I want to hear building tension. And that's this got Pet Cemetery the remake got me into reviewing the soundtracks because there's a scene in Pet Cemetery which we will give away now. There's a scene in Pet Cemetery where he's digging up his daughter. Mm. There is fucking no tension. There's no tension in the music. There's nothing anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's just him digging and you know, wiping sweat from his head and you don't feel anything. You don't feel like something bad's going to happen. There's no foreshadowing. There's no nothing. Yeah. It's it's just it it feels like a dead scene. <laughs> you know, no pun intended, it's a but deadly. It's it's just it feels like there's nothing going on there. Like they just they filmed that scene and and they're just like, "Okay, digging digging a digging a hole." Like, it, it, none of it made any sense to me. When you're building a horror movie, if even if you go back to Halloween or in in some cases some of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, not all of them, but we'll just use Halloween, okay? And how iconic that 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 soundtrack is. Yeah. Just a dee doo doo dee doo doo dee doo. Right. The it doesn't conjure up horror when you first hear when when you first hear it you don't see the movie it doesn't really conjure up horror when you see the movie then you start associating with it and they use that in 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 the season two of happy Mm -hmm. they use that soundtrack they use part of the halloween soundtrack Mm -hmm. um for a sequence and i'm not gonna i don't want to give it away but they, they used it and the way that they used it was so fucking appropriate and so well done the, this guy that's doing Happy is from Motion Pictures. He went to TV and Sci-Fi basically wrote, gave him a blank check and said, "Do whatever frick you want." And and he made he's done season one and season two, and the stakes were higher for season two, and he fulfilled them and then some. Surpassed, huh? Oh my god! And and I talk again. I talk ad nauseum about Happy as well as a couple of other things. When you are making 
a movie and when you are doing soundtracks for the movies, if you're just going to phone it in and use loud air horns and whatever else all the time without giving any tension to it, it doesn't work. You could have, he could have used that air horn to, to, to build an orchestral sound around. (laughs) Instead of that, it just doesn't make any sense. I wonder if maybe he, um, no excuses for the guy, but what if he was on? A, he just came in and did a quick fucking composed session, and then just was out. No, it doesn't usually work like that. They have about six weeks to work on uh, music and whatnot, especially when they're creating it from the time that they from the time the movie's finished to release. Yeah, they need six weeks to get the stuff in there to mix the music with everything else. Yeah. So my guess is that, like most composers, most people that write music. Uh, that I have come across, they're they're going through a period of time where they have this thing stuck in their head, and they're 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 releasing it through their music, and this thing that's stuck in their head is 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 a melody or a sound or or a, a sequence or a phrase. It doesn't really matter what it is. And when you hear it, like if you listen to um, bring up John Williams or I'll bring up, it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> John Williams all the way up through. He did the first two Harry Potter movies, I think. Three. He did, he did Azkaban as well. I don't think so. He did. Look it up. And then after Azkaban, I believe that was that was it. I believe that he did not. <laughs> but you may be right. Okay, so John Williams. Now, <clears throat> if you go all the way up to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, if you listen to the soundtracks that he's done, yeah, even, even Schindler's List, if you listen to those soundtracks that he's done from, from Jaws all the way through, You'll hear hints of melodies that are similar oh, in yeah. every single, and it's not just similar; it's trademark. Yeah, it's stuff that he will always use when he's writing because it's comforting. Yeah, it's home. The same with Van Halen. The same with Metallica. Tried and true. If if you listen to Metallica, uh, Disposable Heroes, yeah. um, uh, 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 Dyer's Eve, uh, Creeping Death, um, and there's a couple of others. All of those are are based off of the same riff and the same sequence that 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 Hetfield has stuck in his head, and he's and he's making different music with it, but it's still the same phrasing and sequences, yeah. just in in different. Just like ways. when you hear Superman, and then you also hear <coughs> Ravens of the Lost Ark and Star Wars. There's a lot of similarities in there, right? But what I'm saying is, is that there are phrases, there are specific phrases, and then you get those stuck in your head, and 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 when you're making music. Those phrases will come through no matter what you're doing. And in, in you had asked about the soundtrack for Brightburn, you know, what if you just kind of half-assed it and called it in type of thing, right? Yeah. And well, that's not what you said, but what you said was what if he was, what if he just kind of like showed up and said, okay. Yeah, like, hey, it's a favor. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll spend a week on your fucking, you know. Well, composer. I believe that Tyler Bates also worked on it. Uh, Tyler Bates, um, I believe. I believe that... Tyler Bates was also involved in in Brightburn. Yeah, right here. Okay, so even though he worked on Guardians of the Galaxy, he wasn't the um he was a more of a conductor than he was an actual Well, a conductor is I mean the conductor's just the guy who's standing the maestro, right? Just stands in front of the <laughs> No, the he's bars. not just a maestro. He doesn't just do this. He he he's the guy they do a lot more than just that. Um 
see, and, and, and Tyler Bates worked on, on the John Wick franchise. So if you listen to John Wick's chapter one, two, and three, and Brightburn and everything else, it's, again, it's, you hear a lot of the same stuff. He, you know, he performs with Marilyn Manson. And the problem with Tyler Bates is that instead of conducting music, he's, it doesn't feel like he's conducting music. He's, he's writing songs for a rock album. Or an you know an emo album or an EDM album, yeah, and then putting them into a fucking you know a soundtrack for a movie, and and, and you know he worked on Dawn of the Dead, he worked on Three Hundred, he worked on Sucker Punch, he worked on the John Wick franchise, and every one of those has the same style and same tempo, same type of music, and and it ruins movies. Go watch Three Hundred again. Go watch John Wick again. John Wick. I'm not saying that he ruined the movies, but the soundtrack. Does it, it? It ninety percent of it doesn't go with the fucking movie because it just feels like oh, that's what he's doing. He's trying to be a rock star and not writing music. That's that's my take. And he and and apart, like if you took Tyler Bates' music out of the movies, there it's good music. I'm not saying that Tyler Bates' music sucks. You know, it's not for me. It's not stuff that I normally listen to. But I can appreciate it because it's 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 music, and that's what it's for. Yeah, right. It's it's whoever likes it. So don't get me wrong. I don't I don't want you to think that I think Tyler Bates sucks as a conductor, or composer, or a musician. He doesn't. But the stuff that he writes for the movies that we're watching is completely off of the movie. It's just off. You know, I think that kind of says something because you know what? When I think of John Wick, I don't think of the musical score. I yeah. just don't. I I think more of the the action, and if I do think of any music from John Wick, I think of like the Marilyn Manson song from the first John Wick, or you know actual original like artist music that was put into the movie. Yeah, and and that's what I'm and that's what I'm yeah. trying to say is you don't listen you, you don't you don't care well no, you don't care you don't it, just what you said with the John Wick stuff. Yeah. It, it's not memorable no. because of the music. Just like with, uh, say, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't think of the actual musical score. I do. I think of the soundtrack. Well, th- that's what I mean. The musical score and the soundtrack are the same thing. I mean, no, I mean the music that was picked to be in the movie, like, you know, the, 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 the 70s music. I don't mean the actual, like, the, the guy who's like Tyler Bates where he stands in front of an orchestra and, and orchestrates original music for the movie. Yeah, but, um, but well, again, uh, we can go through um, a thousand movies. Jesus, like ha- half of those goddamn movies are going to be John Williams anyways. Howard Shore, Hans Zimmer, yeah. you know, um, 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 Horn. James Horner. Yeah. Uh, even Tyler Bates and, and, and Williams. Not John Williams, the other way. James Newton Howard. Yeah. Um, uh, uh Jesus, who's Hans the, Zimmer's like my new favorite composer. Who, who's the Hans Zimmer's? No man, Hans Zimmer's basic dude. Dude, you watch. He can do a different sound for mm. every fucking movie, man. Mm. Mm. Do you want a comparison, dude? Fucking uh, uh, Howard Shore. Howard Shore and James Horner fucking make make Hans Zimmer look like a, a look like an amateur. And he's and Hans Zimmer's good, but Howard Shore. If you were gonna rank. M- Conductors and people that write music for movies. Obviously, there's the top. We we already know who that is. Howard Shore is like number two. Howard Hans Zimmer is a little bit farther on down the list because again, he seems to conduct based off of modern techniques, and he misses a lot of stuff. Well, I'm going off of movies that I love that he's done scores for, and they are they are always memorable. 
for all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, especially part two and three, um, all the Christopher Nolan films like Interstellar, the musical score for Interstellar is it is so well done that it, it pulls you into every moment of that movie and it makes you feel like what McConaughey's character's feeling and, and everything that's going on and this, the levels of tension when they're going through scenes. And it sounds so much different than any other score he does. It just always... The guy's got range, and I, I yeah, if, uh, that's why that's why I want to start doing the Joe recommends shit for you because I want you to see movies like Interstellar, and then and see I want to hear your take on it. But I don't care for movies like that. I'm never gonna watch them. That's the thing. That and then and I I mean the Joe the the Joe recommends thing is a good idea, but I will never watch them. I don't have any interest in seeing movies like Interstellar, or or like if we go like if at the time I could I go see it with you. That'd be fine, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to see Gravity. I'm never going to watch Interstellar. I'm never going to watch a, a couple. I'm never going to watch fucking Creed, as much as like it'll be on or whatever. And when it's on, it'd be like two thirds of the way through, and be like, I'm not fucking watching that goddamn movie. Mm. You know, it just there, there are things that I've moved on from that <clears throat> it's unfortunate because I'm a a movie reviewer, but I know my limitations. And I have to go with what's I, what I like and what's in my wheelhouse type of thing, so that I can continually refresh what a my my knowledge and b stick with the stuff that I know, animation, action, adventure, things like that. And if I happen to catch Interstellar when I can, I'll watch it. But I'm not going. I'm not going to sit down and purposely watch Interstellar. You don't want to devote. Um, not going to devote three, three hours. hours to watch a movie <laughs> like that. And then, and that's, and, uh, but I'll listen to the soundtrack. I will listen, and I do, I because I have Sirius XM, mm. and I and it plays all the uh, all the music from all every fucking soundtrack ever made. Yeah. So you know, every there from fucking Pink Panther to Breakfast. At oh, yeah. Or if you hear his score from uh, <coughs> Inception, amazing fucking score for that it's movie. It's okay. It's not amazing. No, it it builds that movie up big time. Again, uh, going off of being what I am. And comparing Hans Zimmer to everybody else, Hans Zimmer misses a point when it comes to building music. He misses the big point. And that big point is building the music. He, he, he hits you hard. And again, not bad. He's not awful. He's not, he's not the worst. And there are fucking plenty of people that suck at this. He's, he's, he's really good at what he does. If you listen to Pirates of the Caribbean, if you listen to Interstellar, if you listen to all the other stuff that the Dark he Knight does, trilogy, yeah. it's it's passable. It's 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 more than well. I'll go with more than passable. <laughs> he as a composer, like okay, so he did Lion King, but if you listen to and he did Crimson Tide, if you listen to because he shared this with James Newton Howard, he won a Grammy. <laughs> If you listen to things like Gladiator or The Last Samurai or Inception, you're again where you're going to hear themes, right? Mm. And those themes are going to be shared through all all of his stuff. And for some reason, when when you're when you're when you're listening to Zimmer do his stuff, his his is more bassy. There seems to be a lack of fluidity with his melody flutes the high-end instruments things like that where he goes he goes more on the dark end and i use dark end like you know like the the bass notes and things like that not 
right? But, you know, the... in the Imperial March side, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, horns and 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 <clears throat> where whereas, but that's his wheelhouse. That's where he's comfortable at. So, um, like I said, it's not bad. You know, that's my opinion. It's your opinion, right? You like him, but yeah, he fucking stands out <laughs> to me. But I, I just I don't feel I personally don't also Johan uh, Johansson before he died. Um, his score, he did, you know, um, a lot of things for Danny Villeneuve's movies. Right. And then fucker did too much cocaine and died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got too big for his britches, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he did the score for Sicario. If you remember mm-hmm. how tense. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And, and uh, Blade Runner. Uh-huh. And um, and there was some other things he did the score for. It's just absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah. So but if, if it, delving back into music as much as I did, I was just like, holy shit, you know, seeing. And, and what got me was. Again, I was listening to I was just listening to John Williams, mm. and I and I was listening to a piece of music that I had heard a million times if I've heard it once. And, and you heard something new, didn't you? And I heard something new, and I went, "I have never." And it was just a note. It was yeah. a couple notes, and I heard that note, and I went, "I have never heard that before in my life." That's, I went back and just and, and I yeah. just started delving into all this stuff, and then you know Hans Zimmer's comes up and this and that and the other thing, and I'm just like, "There's something missing." There's something like if you listen to these guys, Michael Giacchino, however, Giacchino, Giacchino, yeah, Giacchino, something or other, Giacchino. He did the Star Trek 2009 soundtrack, Lost, and yeah, and Star Wars, and like if you listen to, if you listen to Solo, if you listen to Giacchino stuff with Rogue One, there's something missing. Mm -hmm. It's missing, and the overall effect that's missing is they're only writing for specific instruments. They're not writing for all instruments. And that's what I get the feeling from Hans Zimmer. They're only writing for specific styles of instruments. They're not writing for everything. You bringing up uh, hearing something new, that, that reminds me of um, occasionally smoking weed and then listening to music I've listened to a thousand times before and, and then hearing something completely different while you're, while you're stoned. It's, yeah, you just like... Like, I never noticed that in the background before, you know, or something. You're right. like, holy shit, and it just opens it up even more. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's for me. Uh, again, and if you're if you're a Howard Shore fan, I love Howard Shore. Oh yeah, if Lord you, of the Rings, dude. I mean, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, it, but e- even comparing Howard Shore with like I compare Howard Shore with Williams, mm-hmm. and I and then Hans Zimmer's is, is in a different category all by himself. But I, I the reason why I compare Howard is because Howard Shore uses the entire. It feels like mm-hmm. it feels like he uses the the symphony like like Williams uses the symphony. He writes the music. He writes the music on a piano. This is what Williams does. He writes the music on a piano, and then he fucking composes it. And then he has to think about who's going to do what, where, when. Yeah, you know. And then he writes the lines out, and the lines are separated by <coughs> by by instrument, violin, horn. But if it, it feels like what Hans Zimmer is doing, not just Hans Zimmer, but I'm using Hans Zimmer uh, and and Bates. And uh, the, the other Williams is they're they're writing. Like I said, Zimmer's in a category of, all, of by himself right now. Bates and Williams are at the end, other end of the spectrum, where they're writing music as a band. That's what it feels like. They're writing band music to put into movies. Zimmer is writing like darker melodies. You know, uh, they're, they're not. They're they're not. Well, I'm just gonna say, come out right and say, it. they're not Indiana Jones style. They're never going to be, um, and that's probably why I don't care for it. You know, in my, I, I like some of the stuff that he does, but I don't, I don't find his music to be particularly like uplifting, you know, or 
or inspiring. Um, it's good, but that's just me. And then you have Shore and, and a couple of others, Andy Other Williams, on the other side of the spectrum. So that now we have a spectrum, right? Uplifting, march music type thing where, <laughs> where, where, where you got the entire orchestra going at it and, you know, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. And then you have Zimmer who does Pirates of the Caribbean, Lion King, even though Lion King is kind of upbeat, but, you know, Dark Knight, things like that. Yeah. <coughs> and, and he's able to get his... his <coughs> Are you done? All right. Get his music the way he wants his music to be done. That's mm-hmm. his music. That's his style. And then you have that other side, which is the Tyler Bates and the and the Williams, who are doing Get Out and whatever else. But like I said, they're more. They feel like they're more. And I've talked enough about this shit. They feel like they're more creating music for band, just a four piece band, drum, mouthpiece, guitar, bass. You know, and then and then either throwing electronic music behind it. Or not doesn't really matter, yeah. and then putting it into a soundtrack, and that doesn't work for me. That that does not work for me. I'd rather have Hans Zimmer score the fucking s- soundtrack than anybody else, because at least I'm going to get quality, and at least I can get what I w- get a purpose for character. Yeah, because Hans Zimmer, I don't I don't know if Hans Zimmer actually writes uh, light motif, which is themes. Well, he did the Man of Steel. He did the Dark Knight trilogy. No, no, no. Well, the Man of Steel, he used fucking John Williams stuff from, and then built off of that. I'm talking about something called light motif. Light motif is building building a soundtrack. There it is. Okay, light motif. Light motif is 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 specifically a recurrent theme throughout a musical or literary composition associated with a particular person, idea, or situation. It's a theme built off of ideas, persons, situations. Luke's theme, Yoda's theme, Leia's theme, Han's theme, Skirtso for X-Wings, things like that. That's what that means. I don't know if Zimmer particularly, I mean, he probably does, but I don't think Zimmer particularly would, uses... Uh, would Ray's theme be considered a, le- a light motif? Yeah. You know I'm talking about with the flutes? Yeah. At the beginning of Force Awakens? Everything that says somebody's theme is a light motif. Well, I'm just calling it Ray's theme because I assume it is because it, the first time you hear it is when it shows her for the first time. Yeah. Everything that you see that says something, something, thing, somebody's theme, somebody. Right. Let's hurry up, man. I want to get to the trailer. Let's go. Anyways, um, so trying to find. I'm talking about fucking music longer than the goddamn movie. I know. See, I need to learn more about music. <laughs> see how right there, Howard Shore, the meaning of music, Zimmer and time. Mm-hmm. I think, I like I said, um, I think that Zimmer uses light motif, but it's not. So pretty much Axel's theme from Beverly Hills Cop is a, a light motif. Right. Yeah. Like again, anything that says theme, the Imperial March, blah blah blah. Um Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah. Um I I, I think that Zimmer how am I trying to get across this? He uses it, but he uses it sparingly mm-hmm. because he has an overall he has an overall theme for what it's a going grand to be. Grand vision. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And I, I and then and and then he peppers a light motif in throughout it. Yeah. So, but again, I just I don't feel. So, do you think people should go and see Brightburn in theaters? I think they should experience it. Um, it's it's an interesting movie. Yeah. If you're a fan of Superman, yes. In 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 my review, I pretty much put that you should see it in a matinee. Don't spend too much money on it. 
Yeah. Wait. Or I mean, either or. This is this is a give or take type of thing. If you want to go see it, go see it. It's a good Saturday afternoon matinee. Yeah. Or I want, I want to encourage you know independent filmmaking. You know, low budget filmmaking. I really do. But this is this movie just feels like a huge wasted opportunity. Right. And that that kind of that kind of the more I think about it, the more it's starting to bug me. Yeah. Kind of like with how Godzilla bugged you, which we'll get into in a no. in a couple of weeks or yeah. so. <laughs> when we fucking post this shit. <laughs> Um, I, I, going back on the whole Hans Zimmer light motif, he does use it. I'm just what I'm saying is, is I think that he sprinkles it in. Yeah. Whereas people like John Williams use it almost consistently. Yeah. Um, uh, if you listen to Zimmer or Howard Shore or Williams or whoever is your favorite particular person when it comes to making music, the 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 it, there are so many vast different ways to write music. It's amazing how much difference. In music, especially conducting orchestras, yeah. just writing music, you you would figure that somebody's like, "Oh, he stole that, or he stole this." I see um, high end movie composers as today's modern um, uh, Mozart's and and uh, you know Tchaikovsky's. Well, yeah, that's where they get all their stuff. I yeah, mean, that's, they're they're there's the geniuses of this, and I I think sometimes that a lot of this gets ignored because not everyone's a movie fan, you know, and so there's a lot of things that people don't hear. When they should, because there's a yeah. lot of genius, a lot of genius effort put into a yeah. lot of these scores. Yeah, like I said, I'm not going back on anything. I, I, I my take on Hans Zimmer is my still my take. I, oh. I, I could take him and leave him. He's not one of my favorites. He's a great musician. He's a great composer. Okay, that doesn't that, but that still doesn't take away from the fact that his stuff compar- comparatively is in the middle as opposed to the other people that I like, Howard Shore or whoever, James Horner and things like that, mm. and, and Williams. Silvestri. Yeah, uh, uh, Alan Silvestri. I think Alan Silvestri is just kind of to the right of of uh, of um, Zimmer because mm-hmm. I'm using Zimmer as my, my, my guideline. Median? My median. He's in, he's in the middle. That doesn't mean he's he's boring or anything else like that. He's in the middle. He's, he you know, he's not average. I'm not using middle as average, but middle meaning middle of the road, meaning he's safe, meaning that everything he does is good, everything that he does, and not not just everything he does is is spectacular and good, but not great. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it 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 doesn't suck. I mean, we're talking varying degrees. Like it's like football. Like, well, uh, you know what? Uh, this is how I can I can compare like Hans Zimmer to say the Tyler Bates and all that other shit is when I hear a Hans Zimmer score, I fucking know it's Hans Zimmer. Exactly. You're going to know it. Yeah. But, but, but I'm using him as a yeah. median because he, he's in the middle. Yeah. But if I hear Tyler Bates or any, a lot of these other guys, I don't even know what fucking movie it's from and, a lot of times. And when I go to the left of him, that means you need improvement. You need you need to change some things. You do some good stuff. Yeah. But it, you're not impressing me. Mm-hmm. And I go to the right of him, you're going towards my favorites, mm. and and that's that's the way I see it. So Hans Zimmer is my is my my tent pole. Mm. You know he's the guy that's holding everything up. Um, I, it, but you don't take notice of him. I don't take notice of him because it's just there. The tent pole is there to yeah. keep things from falling down. You know, and then then you can see everything else, yeah. good and bad. <laughs> that's what I wanted to get out with with the Hans Zimmer thing. I know I went fucking long on that, but sorry. <laughs> you love music, man. I I I do, and that and unfortunately, music will destroy a movie faster than anything else. Does I heard that? Um, I've never seen it, but I heard the movie Family Business 
with Matthew Broderick, Sean Connery, and uh, Dustin Hoffman, I think it's called. Um, they, um, I heard it's a great movie, but the musical score is so fucking horrible that it makes the movie suck. I've, I've heard, I've heard that this movie just sucks in general. Yeah, I, I've seen parts of the movie. Yeah, and and I would have to agree that it's not great. But yeah, the the, the soundtrack, like if you just go to YouTube and just type in any soundtrack and yeah. listen to the soundtrack, yeah. It'll it, you get a nice cue in of what the movie's about, and that's what I did with Brightburn, and 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 that's what I did with John Wick. I'm like, uh, John Wick. If you listen to the soundtrack, it's diametrically opposed to what's going on on the screen. You know, it's all this bassy, you know, EDM shit. Yeah. And John Wick is just all fast and furious, fucking shoot, 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 and and the music is, the music is specifically written. To be the opposite, like if you if you know how to write music, when you're writing a line, like say you're you're in a band, and you're writing a line for guitar, and you do the bass and the drums and everything else, the 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 lyrics are supposed to be going in the opposite direction of the way that the guitar is going. If you think about it in terms of water, water flows downhill, right? And lyrics as water trying to go uphill, that's what it's like. That's how you're supposed to write music. Uh, or at least lyrics and stuff like that. Sometimes you can follow through with the melody and whatever else, but the lyrics and 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 the music in and of itself are supposed to go against each other, and that's that's how good good music is made. And if you listen now, now that you know that, you'll start listening to bands, and you're like, holy shit, that that line is spo- not supposed to be like that. Yeah, you know, like Disposable Heroes. When you hear him singing Disposable Heroes, you know Metallica. As Hetfield singing "Disposable Heroes" and doing the line, you know, "Decka decka decka da da da," right? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, and and that's what that's the way that John Wick is. The movie is written like it's a band, a three piece band playing together, and the music is the lyrics, or vice versa. the 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 music is the three piece band, and the movie is the lyrics, yeah. and it's going against each other, and that's why it works. But with Brightburn, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. There's there's no <coughs> there is no there's no tempo to yeah. it. So unless there's like some fucking half hour longer director's cut that adds a bunch of cut footage that adds depth to the movie. Yeah. I don't think I ever care to see this movie again. Yeah, I'm not interested in it either. Yeah. So and I've talked enough about music, so all right. So um all right, we got five trailers, man. There, there was a lot of trailers that came out this week. We got them. I am not playing any of these goddamn trailers. I, that's fine. Um, the Pixar trailer, I was surprised. I didn't even know this movie was being made. I didn't either, and we got home from Godzilla last night, and I popped open my phone because yeah. I was listening to something on YouTube, yeah. and I'm like, oh, hey, look, new Pixar trailer. Yeah, it's called Onwards, and um, it's, or Onward. Onward, yeah, Onward. Onwards, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it looks like the characters look like they're from Megamind. <laughs> Uh, not really. Well, no. I mean, the, just the the blue faces and the, you know, but it, it's well, they're elves. They're they're fucking, yeah. you know, just the first elves impression and, I got. And unicorns and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the when the unicorn hissed at the dude <laughs> and tripped over itself. Yeah, <laughs> it was eating out of the garbage can. Yeah. So it, it looks surprising. Well, no, they're not unicorns. They're pegasi. Those yeah. were pegasi. Although he says unicorn because <laughs> they did have wings. They had horns. That's why. Yeah. And so, wings. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I got you. So. I mean, what do you call a flying unicorn? A Pegasus. <laughs> I thought Pegasus um, don't have um, horns, though. That's yeah, they can. Uh. Just depends on your depiction, but the, uh, generally, unicorns don't have wings. Hmm. Generally, yeah. 
At least from what I've seen. Yeah, because you got Pegasus from Clash of the Titans and uh-huh. yeah, okay. All right. So anyway, it, I'm I'm surprised Pixar's finally you know doing a, an original movie. <laughs> you know, because it it seems like I can't even recall when the last time they did one that I was interested in. In and so, out. Um. Yeah, there's a uh, the good dinosaur. Uh, in and out. In and out. Which just came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, and then oh, Coco. Yeah. Okay. I did, they still done some. It just seems almost like the. I wasn't going to mention Incredibles too because that's a sequel. Yeah, yeah. So, but they they seem like a lot a lot lately. They've been focusing on sequels. You know, yeah, Incredibles, Finding Dory, all that stuff. So, um, anyway, I'm interested. It looks like it might be good. You know, so you know, you know, we'll go see it. An incredible adventure awaits. I'm still surprised. And no, it's a quest. It's a quest. I still have not seen the Good Dinosaur to this day. I have seen bits and pieces of it. And it's just nothing special, or what? It doesn't really hold my attention. Hmm. Okay. It's and that's saying if it's not it's holding, not a, it's not that it's not a good movie. Yeah, it you, just you, doesn't hold my attention. You being an animated guy, if it's not holding your fucking attention, then there's something wrong with it. Yeah, it's missing something. Uh, Rambo: Last Blood, and I watch Boomerang. <laughs> I watch Cartoon Network. Yeah, uh, Rambo: Last Blood. Um, is a final movie, maybe. Oh my god, it looks interesting. Um, this looks really fucking good, actually. Um, if you notice that the movie, like the whole, like if you just base it off the trailer. Looks like the whole movie's just set at his farm, the a ranch that he's living on, and that he's just defending it. Like it's his own. It's like Home Alone Rambo style. It's basically Rambo First Blood. Yeah, yeah, just not in the forest. Instead, it's on a ranch. Correct. Yeah. So like, kind of ends in a way that it began, right? Yes. And now we just need Brian Dennehy. I know he died in the first movie. Yeah. He's like the only one that got killed, right? And the uh, uh, Richard Crenna. Oh yeah, well Crenna's been dead for like two decades. I know. <laughs> but he was great in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a good supporting player, right? Um, so yeah, it, it looks interesting. You know, we'll see it. I it, God damn, it's been what? Uh, what was it two thousand four that Rambo came out? The, the you know the the one that just was called straight up Rambo. Yeah, all right, that one was fun. That was that had a lot of fun action. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate. We saw that trailer. Um, <laughs> I there was something in the trailer that I got caught by surprise. What is when uh, is it Diego Luna? Is that who the character? Whoever the bad guy is. Yeah. Just, uh, what about him? So he, they're driving the truck. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and he gets shot. Or no, the, they, they fucking stick the... The rebar. The rebar through him. Yeah. And he fucking morphs. And he, he can make multiple Terminators. Yeah. And literally, he fucking morphed as the other Terminator shifted, which yeah. is so fucking... I was watching it. I was like, that's that little detail right there. Mm. Was so fucking cool because it just driving and yeah, because it so his endoskeleton stays in, inside the cab driving the truck, and then his liquid metal outside exterior comes out and becomes another Terminator. Yeah, yeah. and I don't think it's his endoskeleton. I think he can literally make other Terminators. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, it looks interesting. You know, it doesn't look like it's going to suck, but hey, it's not, I'm sorry, not a, it's a shell. It's it's yeah. a shell with a little bit of memory that it will allow it to do it. Possibly, yeah. So and uh, but hey, we thought the Terminator Genesis trailer looked good too. No, or, I didn't. No, wait, no, I didn't. Never mind. It did look like shit, didn't it? Yes. Okay. All right. Too gray and too fucking blech. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. This one didn't. This one had the this that's one had the camera in touch. That's right, because Terminator Genesis gave away way too much in the trailer. Like John you already found out John Connor was a Terminator and all yeah. that shit. Yeah. Okay. And then this one, you know, uh, it, I, I am human, you yeah. know. I, and I'm waiting for that fucking revelation, you know, where she finds the female Terminator and just like yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, you know what? And as long as the camera's name's on there, I'm interested in seeing it. Yep. So, all right. Um, 
This trailer uh, caught me off guard um, when we were watching Godzilla last night. Um, it was uh, the kitchen with uh, Melissa McCarthy and <gasps> Tiffany yes. Haddish. Yes. And um, oh my God, I'm brain farting her name, but she's from uh, The Handmaid's Elizabeth Tale. Elizabeth Moss. Yes, thank you. Um, she was in Get Out. I swear to God, when that trailer or first she was in Us. Yeah. When that trailer first started and they all had serious looks on their faces, I kept waiting for it to break out into a comedy. I it, That's the same exact thing that I thought of. Yeah. It was just like, oh my God, it's a fucking Elizabeth. Elizabeth. It's a fucking uh, Melissa McCarthy comedy and now I'm going to get cancer. Yeah, now we're going to get sassy mouth fucking Tiffany Haddish with her. Yeah. Right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I'm now we're going to have fuck. two fucking weirdo loudmouth com- comedians that are just trying uh, trying their best to outdo each other and how outrageous they can be yeah. and say things. Yeah. <laughs> Outrageous, <laughs> and then and then and then it <laughs> and then it went in the complete opposite direction. Completely, I, I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, and it never dropped, man. Yeah, so. I'm like, is this a is this a comedy, or is this like, yeah, is this like fucking Goodfellas with females? See, and look at per- I've said it before, like with Leslie Jones, man, you give her fucking good material, she's a decent actor. Yeah, and look at Tiffany Haddish, you don't fuck her having her sass it all up, and yeah. she's a good fucking actress. Yeah. So, I'm interested in seeing the movie. I I am too. I want now. I have to see this fucking it's movie. It's like Lady Goodfellas in a way, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Irish Mob. Yeah. So it's, sweet. Yeah. All right, and then uh, the lastly, uh, the lastly, the lastly, uh, Dark Crystal, the uh, Winnie the Pooh, Age of Resistance. Yes. Trailer came out, which is a prequel series that they're doing for um, Netflix. Yes. And I was surprised when 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 you sent this to me and I watched it. I I didn't know they were going to do the puppet style. I did. You know, and so I. But I, I've known I've known that for years because they. It. Well, uh, they telegraphed it pretty much when, if you remember a sci-fi show, the it was called Face Off, and what they did was they would create costumes uh-huh. and, and put people on them. Well, one of the shows was dedicated entirely to the Dark Crystal and making Skeksis. Okay. And that was the the entire job of the uh, the. Is it? I think it was Face Off. I want to say it's Face Off. I could be wrong. Yeah. It could be because uh, Henson was also doing one as well. Yeah. And it's so I, I may have these two mixed up. So forgive me if I have these mixed up. But either it was Face Off or or that the one that that Henson was doing that was uh, uh, in, in, the fa- in the spirit of Face Off. Yeah. Where okay, so they had to build a Skeksis, right? So they'd build the head, and then they had to build the body. And then they had to cover it, and then not only that, they had to animate it. So basically, what they did was was three steps: build the body and get the eyes and the mouth and everything to work right, and the hands. And then, and then they had to fit it around a human so that it, the person could walk right, just like the Skeksis. Yeah. And then they had to learn how to be a puppeteer and be able to puppet and, and, and make it work right. So they had to, they get the hands to work and everything else. And then they had to film it. And make it look as real as possible. So each one of these things got its own scene. Yeah. And and then it would walk through the scene. It would do a little quick three to five minute scene or whatever it was. Yeah. And the the TV show that did this, uh, the people that won that that show, uh, I think that I think that that in that particular show, uh, some of those guys got hired by the Henson Company. Yeah. To work on the Dark Crystal. That's cool. The new Dark Crystal series. It's good, man. I um, yeah, I'm interested in seeing it. You know, because I watched the uh, the Dark Crystal finally for the first time all the way through a few months ago, and I think yeah, we did a didn't we do an idea man or something like that for a yes yeah 
for a sequel? Or yeah, The Return of the Skeksis. It was... Uh, um, I, I totally typed in... See, you type in shit like Face Off, Dark Crystal. I, I totally wrote that in. See? It wasn't Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very helpful, was it? No. Jim Hendren's Creature Shop Challenge. That's what it was called. Okay. And it premiered in 2014. So it's pretty much they were recruiting Fuck, people. Recruiting people to do their shit. Well, no. Well, yeah, they were, but uh, uh, there was some. There was eight episodes, and it's actually really good. Uh, it's called Tavern. The, the eighth episode is Tavern at the Crossroads. After seeing Brian's um, design, build, and perform a full-body mystical creature that meets other creatures at a tavern at the mystical crossroads to tell their stories. That was the last episode. Uh, Swamp Things, Alien Press Conference. There it is. The Return of the Skeksis, which is episode two. Um, creatures designers had to create a Skeksis from the Dark Crystal that has been banished to a foreign land on the planet Thra and have been called back to the castle. So they had the frozen wasteland, the arid desert, and the decaying forest Skeksis. And it was, it was really, it was fucking cool to watch um, to, uh, as they, they went through all of the stuff that they were uh, working on. Such a, such a great show. All right. So anyways, uh, if you have a chance to watch it, it's called Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. Let me say that again better. Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. It was premiered in, on Sci-Fi in 2014. It's episode two. <coughs> so, Return of the Skeksis. Return of the Skeksis. There you go. All right. And I'm actually looking forward to uh, uh, the Dark Crystal. All right. So next up, we uh, on a on 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 a on a sunny Saturday afternoon. <laughs> well, we will be talking about. Uh, we're going to do two films this time. We're going to do Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and then uh, I went and saw Aladdin, the uh, 2019 uh, live action version. Godzilla. So. Um, so, yes, there will be a, uh, a scathing means bad, right? Yes. Okay. There will be a scathing review and a very uplifting review. There will be a scathing review, and then the other one will be Aladdin. <laughs> he can be taught. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, we'll let you know how those uh, films are and, uh, very, very soon. Yeah. All right. So thank you for tuning in, and uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Or go fuck yourself. <laughs>